0: All right, welcome to uh, Legal Tech Week for uh, April 26th, 2021. Where the top story today is that it's Joe Patrice's birthday. Happy birthday, Joe. Happy birthday.
1: (laughs) Thank you, yeah. Uh,
0: And uh, because of that, you get to do first everything today. So uh, Okay. Yeah, I mean, so you can start by introducing yourself.
1: Yeah, I'm Joe Patrice from... uh from the senior editor of Above the Law and uh, a host of the Thinking Like a Lawyer podcast. And it is my birthday. I'm obviously, as you can tell, I'm 28. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm, uh, see, this is the problem with when we all mute ourselves when we're not talking. Nobody was able to hear that people laughed at that. Um, it, <laughs> it kind of killed it, kind of made it seem like, wow, this guy's just conceited. Uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, so that's, uh, that's my story. And in another big
0: development, you're coming to us live from the uh, global headquarters of uh, Above the Law, right?
1: I am, I am, I am. It's uh, it's kind of like the, was sort of like the beginning of an Indiana Jones movie, opening the door, like mail piled up, all kinds of moving dust off of the monitors and everything. It's, uh, it's crazy, but it's good to check out what the office has been going through. All
0: right, and uh, then going around, Victoria, why don't you introduce yourself?
2: Hey everyone, my name is Victoria Hutchins. I'm based in Philadelphia where I write about legal technology and how lawyers are using technology in their practice or for their clients. Primarily, my byline is on legal tech news, but you also find me on law.com, the American Lawyer, Corporate Counsel, and other ALM publications.
0: Thank you very much, Victor.
3: Hi everyone, Victor Lee. I'm assistant managing editor with the ABA Journal covering the business of law and technology. Uh, I am not at the ABA Journal office. I haven't been there in more than a year now. And and the last time I went was basically just throw out some food that was in my desk. So that was probably a good use
0: of my time. Hopefully you got it all. Uh, I I, I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Nikki, you made it.
4: I did, sorry, I was late. I had a meeting that um, went Right up to three. Uh, My name is Nikki Black. I'm the legal technology evangelist with MyCase. And I am a uh, legal tech journalist. I write columns for ABA Journal Above the Law, um, Daily Record, and the MyCase blog. And happy birthday, Joe.
1: Thanks, thanks.
0: Thanks. And you write for so many places that you can't even remember them all. Zach, how about you?
1: Hey there, everybody. My name
5: is Zach Warren. I'm the editor-in-chief of ALM's Legal Tech News. I'm based here in Minnesota, and if I tried to go into ALM's nearest office, I think I'd be going to like either Denver or Cincinnati. So uh, I'm not going to try and do that anytime soon. I think you'll catch me in my home for at least the immediate future.
0: And uh, last but not least for today, Steve Embry. Hi,
6: Steve Embry. Uh, I'm coming to you from the Tech Law Crossroads offices, uh, which I've been in and never left, at least for several years. Uh, I uh, write the blog Tech Law Crossroads, which is uh, deals with legal technology, legal innovation and whatever the hell else I want to talk about, since it's mine. Um, prior to that, I practiced law for uh, close to 40 years with a, as a litigator in uh, big law.
0: And uh, I am coming to you from the uh, global headquarters of uh, Law Lost Sites uh, blog and Law Next podcast, which is here in uh, quaint little Gloucester, Massachusetts, a few hundred yards from the uh, waterfront near the ocean. Pretty place this time of year. Um, so, uh, Hopefully, we all know what we're going to talk about today because I've completely lost track, uh, and our, our, our typical uh, little spreadsheet system had a little breakdown this week. So, <laughs>
6: um, well, Bob, but Bob, uh, as, yeah. Bob, as I told you before we started, I haven't known what I'm talking
0: about in 40 years. So. Right. And really, really, that's never stopped any of us. So, I, I, I'm not, I'm not too worried about it. But uh, as I said, you know, it's Joe's birthday, so he gets the honors of kicking us off today.
1: Except well, he's muted. You know. um, yeah, no, yeah. No, well- We'll uh, definitely
0: won't laugh at your jokes if you're muted.
1: Ne- oh, yeah, no, that's true. Um, yeah, so I actually don't know what, I, I I had a few options. I didn't know what uh, people necessarily wanted to hear out of me. Uh, one thing that- Dating, app, dating what, app. They, Okay, I think that probably was going to be what we talked about. So it has come to my attention that the folks from Roll on Friday, a great uh, UK-based law blog, kind of an- uh, similar to above the law, but over there, uh, that the founders of that have started a little tech startup with called lawyer, uh, without an E in there. And it's a, it's a dating app for lawyers to date lawyers, which sounds like my existential nightmare, but apparently, (laughs) they think that this is something that uh, they can do. Um, Yeah, I just thought it was interesting that uh, People who are more in my profession, jur- straight journalists, uh, have dabbled in the tech world. Uh, not so much as making law work better, like a lot of the vendors we talk about here, but you know, making people's lives that much worse by putting two lawyers together and creating whatever that creates.
0: Yeah, and what do people think of that?
3: <laughs> whenever, I, whenever I hear, whenever I hear something like that, I always think of that that scene in Ghostbusters when it was like. It's like I, I'm I'm the keymaster. It's like well I'm 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 the I'm the key holder. I was like hey should we get them together? It's like no we probably shouldn't do that. <laughs> yeah. I'm
5: so excited I, for the first conflicts check that comes up and you have to run it through and it's like oh so how do you know this person? Oh well we met on lawyer and yeah that'll make me happy.
0: I was trying to remember I I was I was trying to dig around real quick I couldn't find it I I could swear I've written in the past about something like that years ago. I, and it wasn't an app it was a website so it wasn't like a is this like a swipe left swipe right kind of an app or something like you know that's what it, a that's antitrust what lawyer like no <laughs> uh, <laughs> but there was a website like lawyers in love or something years ago that was like a dating service for lawyers and i don't know whether that even still exists or 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 whatever it just doesn't seem like a great business proposition to me but Yeah, I'm I'm always,
6: I was reminded when you were talking of that, that great movie, I think it was Adam's Rib, I think was the name of it with Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn where they were, they were both lawyers and they had a case against one another, which of course is an impossibility, but nevertheless, they were, they were such a a great couple when they interacted and it was a really cool movie for that reason, but I don't think that's very realistic on any number of fronts.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah and you remind me Joe, that we, you did have the story from last week that we never got to that we were going to talk about was that the other one you were talking about Do, should we talk about that as well or
1: yeah I don't know how much it's uh, it's still timely uh, but last week we had the uh, Supreme Court issued a you know one of their technical rulings which is usually a sign uh, to get scared because they uh, they don't deal too well with uh, technical issues but the argument But the issue, which was interesting, and I think has a lot of value for startups, is uh, the decision came down and said, you know, yes, code is copyrightable, but if you're copying even a fairly substantial amount of it for the purpose of, you know, setting up an uh, an API that people understand, that's fair use. Um, And fair use is something that unfortunately isn't very well fleshed out. Uh, Courts try to get around it all the time, which is a you know, bane to all of us who write parody stuff, uh, but it was a it was a cool take to just say, hey, this is. They didn't even get to whether or not this was a violation. They said even if it were, this would be fair use. It's totally cool if you're trying to set up something that allows people to understand and uh, use each other's stuff, uh, which I think has great re- ramifications for creativity, uh, which is the whole point of intellectual property law in theory. Uh, even though we've kind of gotten away from that, so I was kind of excited about it, and I thought it. Played in well with uh, Victoria's story last week, talking about APIs and such. I was, it was, uh, it's a, uh, it's out there, and I think it's going to have some impact on other vendors that we work with in our world going forward.
2: Yeah, yeah. When I saw that last week, and I read, um, I think my colleague Jacqueline Thomason, she wrote that. She wrote that up. I think it was her on National Law Journal. And i was just kind of like, it is interesting, and I think it would spur like more people like creating those APIs. I don't know if legal tech if it would encourage them because I think with speaking to legal tech vendors, it's just the clients have to say, hey, I actually want this, even though we're starting to the legal tech purchasers that I'm reaching out to, they're saying, Yeah, we want better APIs. So I don't think necessarily the Supreme Court not weighing in with stopping legal tech companies is them being told like from their clients, like, hey, I need more interoperability among like my different types of vendors. So, you know, the Supreme Court is kind of saying, Hey, you guys have the freedom to do that. Now I just think it has to be the client, like that client a demand and say, hey, do this. So it, it helps them. But I think like it's a bigger issue with things like companies.
0: This is big news. We have somebody in the chat who has actually joined the lawyer dating app. So there we go. We can get firsthand experience, a firsthand report. Maybe one of us on this panel should go undercover and check it out and then report back in a future episode.
3: Yeah, I think my wife would kill me if I did that.
0: Yeah, well, uh, as it happens, I'm married to a lawyer, although in my defense, she wasn't a lawyer when I married her, so.
1: Yeah, see there, that works. I, I'm going to go <laughs> on and try to catfish a Supreme Court justice, so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, what else? Uh,
0: again, I'm kind of lost on what we have this week. Uh, I, I might just, uh, just mention the story that, one of the stories that I wrote about, just because I, I think it was really important notable news that Rocket Lawyer, which is uh, a platform that provides uh, legal forms and legal services uh, to individuals and consumers, um, raised $223 million, which is uh, a lot of money uh, by any measure. And, And given its it's been around since 2008, uh, in, but given its prior raises were all a, a couple of million dollars here and there along the way, it's never really raised a substantial amount of money. Um, and uh, I think clearly this is a sign uh, of, uh, you know, we, we talk so much about alternative uh, methods of delivering legal services, um, uh, but I think this just underscores how many people are turning to this kind of a company, uh, you know, LegalZoom, Rocket Lawyer, that sort of thing uh, for legal help. Um, you know, I think a lot of people forget that Rocket Lawyer actually provides lawyers, not just forms. Uh, you, can, you can get help from a lawyer through Rocket Lawyer. Uh, but it's, it's a huge boost. And clearly their business has, has soared even higher because of the pandemic uh, over the past year and because of people needing to uh, obtain legal help uh, in ways that don't require them to leave their homes. Um, but it was already really taking off. Uh, I think he said, what did they have? 35 million or something, 20, 25 million, 35 million registered users in the United States. Uh, and, and they have a huge audience in other parts of the world. They're, they're, they are they're have a, a big presence in the UK. Uh, he, uh, Charlie, I talked to Charlie Moore, the CEO last night, who was telling me that, I think in France, something like a a quarter of all consumers in France have uh, an account with Rocket Lawyer through their workplaces. Their worker, their their employers are providing them, and it's happening more and more in the United States as well. Um, And, uh, you know, Rocket Lawyer was one of the first to kind of uh, uh, partner with, you know, when the UK uh, set up its... uh, 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 Oh, they didn't call it Alternative Legal Services Board, whatever they called it. Uh, Rocket Lawyer was one of the first to become uh, an authorized provider under that. Now it's participating in the sandbox in Utah, providing uh, legal help uh, through that Utah sandbox. So it's just, it's just a. It's I think it's a real sign of the times. And again, it, you know, it's it's also notable uh, that that Charlie Moore is a black legal tech founder uh, in a field uh, that remains notorious for. Uh, having uh, you know a very small number of of uh, people of color uh, as founders in the legal tech industry, uh, so congratulations to them for doing that. Um, so,
4: well, I thought it was super interesting because Charlie Moore is great. He's a great guy. He's so unassuming in some ways, and I think that that's partly why I feel like Rocket Lawyer just. Is under the radar sometimes. Legal Zoom gets so much attention, and Rocket Lawyers just doing the hard work a little bit under the radar, succeeding, doing a lot of really interesting, important things, and um, it, you just don't hear quite as much about them. So I was really happy to see that you covered it, and uh, not I saw it elsewhere as well, and you know some major legal tech publications as well, not just uh, no, tech publications, not just legal tech. Um, so I was super happy to hear it. But I I just think it's interesting how um, sometimes there's a lot of hoopla about some companies um, and others, for some reason, just there isn't as much hoopla about them, but they're behind the scenes, really innovating and doing a lot of really interesting things. And um, I feel like Charlie's one of those uh, heads up one of those kinds of companies. It's a really
2: he's really done a lot of great things over the years. And I was super happy to see that.
1: Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, great. and I
2: always kind of wonder, like do, you, do more people like outside of like legal tech and the legal field, do they know of LegalZoom because of those commercials and that kind of brings brand awareness, but like what we've seen with kind of like um, COVID-19 and the money that they're raising and that uh, Rocket Law is one of the first at least publicly to say like they were um, going to take part in the Utah sandbox. They really are exploring like those different avenues that you can um, provide like legal services. And especially like I've heard with some people you don't maybe wanna tackle the consumer side because it's kind of like consumers don't have a ton of like legal needs necessarily. They don't have uh, legal budgets like corporations but it's kind of like he's showing that there is a market for that you can still um, and not necessarily target, target like a big law or corporate legal departments. Yeah. And, and yes. i'm
4: I'm wondering I feel like unassuming wasn't the right word. He has a very commanding presence when you meet him. I don't mean that uh, he's just not um there's a better word for it
0: but well one I, thing I, is he's not he's not pretentious is one thing I right. some, you know I some CEOs you like like have met are just have a lot yeah. of swagger and pretension around them and he's just a nice guy. He's just a really nice guy.
1: Exactly.
0: Um, you yeah. know a former uh, also a former not only a lawyer but a former naval officer during the Gulf War uh, very accomplished guy and uh, so.
4: Yeah, I just wanted consistent. to cry. I think pretentious is a, not pretentious, is a much better, unassuming, I don't think it was the best adjective. So I just wanted to come up with a better one that more clarified what I meant. <laughs>
5: Uh, Yeah, spinning off Victoria's point too, just thinking about it from the funder's standpoint, I think it's a really smart bet on somebody like Rocket Lawyer for the COVID reasons, but also we've mentioned Utah a few times in regulatory sandboxes. We've talked about that here in the past, how that's probably only going to increase moving forward. And if you have somebody like Rocket Lawyer who's been through that in the UK, been through that at Utah, knows kind of the regulatory hoops that you need to jump through, that when it does open up to, say, a California, New York, which is being talked about right now, they're probably going to have the jump on a lot of other companies that may not know how to jump through those hoops in the way that Rocket Lawyer does. So if you're looking for a company to bet on from a funding standpoint, it makes sense that they have a very high market cap moving forward.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're they're hardly even a bet at this point. I mean, it's, you know, they're a well-established company with a good, solid, Customer base. I mean, this is a real uh, sort of a. You know, uh, I I think they characterized it even as a as a growth equity uh, investment. And you know, we're probably going to be. This is another one that we're probably going to be seeing. uh, Looking at an IPO, uh, not too much farther down the road, uh, just because it seems to be a natural uh, next step, especially after after an investment like this. Any other thoughts on that? Uh,
3: I definitely agree that they're like, yeah, like they've been more low key than like legal zoom or like one of those. And maybe that was, maybe that was by design. I mean, you know, what's, what's the company that everybody demonizes when they talk about this kind of stuff is legal zoom, right? It's like, Oh, you don't want to be like legal zoom. We don't want to be like legal zoom, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe rocket lawyer avoided that by, by not,
0: by not being the tall poppy in
3: that situation. You know, That's
4: a really well, good
0: yeah. point too. Yeah. And, and actually Charlie, I mean, something else that Charlie said to me when we talked yesterday is, is that, uh, and he was also on my podcast not long ago, if anybody wants to go back and listen to this, we had a really a much longer conversation. But he he said that their approach has not been to uh, be sort of confront the legal system and try and take it on. It's been to to try and partner with some of the established legal system. I mean, they had famously had a partnership with the ABA uh, a few years ago uh, that that I don't know exactly what happened to that. Victor, you may know. I mean, it kind of fizzled out. But um, they were partnering with the aba
3: we we have a lot of Uh, partnerships i mean yeah
0: right i mean they've partnered with these you know they've with utah they're talking to arizona about doing something there i mean they've been trying to work with the bars not against them um and uh and work with some of the established providers so whether that's good or bad i don't know go ahead
2: Thank you. Um, yeah, do you, um, Bob, you mentioned about like Rocket Lawyer might be that next um, legal tech company that goes public. And um, my story is about um, Ironclad and them hiring Mary O'Carroll from um, Google, their legal ops lead, and her stepping down from Clock because she'll be joining Ironclad. Um, and I think like community engagement or officer or something like that. I forgot to look at that up. But Ironclad, they um, earlier this year, back in January, they raised. They announced they raised one hundred million dollars and they said like they have ambitions to go public. And I just kind of thought like, oh, are they using some of that um, money from the war chest to kind of like bolster and build up their um, team to like take themselves to the next level. So that was kind of interesting, especially I don't know like what it means for legal ops that like we see somebody from legal ops join like a legal tech company. We saw that with On it they had someone from a financial, I think it was New York based, I forget the, uh, institution's name, they joined from Legal Ops, um, and they joined uh, on its uh, legal tech team. So I thought it's kind of interesting how you're seeing it develop and especially Ironclad who's been pretty loud about like their ambitions to kind of go further than just being in that legal tech silo. So it was just kind of interesting to see how they're developing and maybe it means something for LegalOps, I'm not really sure.
6: Yeah, I thought it was pretty interesting too. And, you know, I sort of wonder, she was such a, a presence uh, for legal ops and for CLOCK. I mean, it's very well known, very well spoken, very articulate, just by virtue of her position, had a lot of stature in, in the, in the um, industry, if that's the right word. And I wondered, too, how that's going to shake out now that the, the, the next person, I, I know that there's a new president of CLOCK, but uh, be interesting to see if, if she can be replaced as sort of the
0: really the face of legal ops in a, in a lot of ways. Yeah. My, one of my reactions was never play poker with Jason Baymick, the uh, CEO of ironclad. Cause I, I just had, I just interviewed him like a couple of weeks ago. He was on my podcast. last. It was on up the episode this week or last week. I forget. Uh, and and how, how he kept that so close to his vest the whole time we were talking. I don't know. Cause I would have been, uh, Uh, dying to tell somebody the news that, you know, we just brought her aboard. Uh, I mean, that's just huge news from an industry basis. It's great for Ironclad. Uh, It does... Uh, you know, it, it really it it only I think undermine underlies the uh, importance of, of of legal ops overall. Uh, you know, it it may have an effect on clock and the organization, but it it just emphasizes the importance of uh, of uh, that area of of the legal field and and uh, of the people who work in it.
5: Yeah, and I'm semi-sniping an article that I think we might write next week here, but. Um, You're starting to see that a lot more here, where uh, Victoria mentioned one with Onnit, you saw the Liberty Mutual team kind of spread out, one went to Deloitte, one went to KP Labs, even going back a few years, Mike Harmon, who was one of the founders of Clock, going to Elevate, you're starting to see legal tech, uh, historically, when they shelled out most likely big bucks to hire somebody who's usually on the sales side, on the marketing side, because that's where their focus was, but they're really looking into operations and okay, not only how do we establish these relationships because we have people that used to be there, but presumably they can help inform our product as well. Tell us what legal ops really needs because legal ops has been that connection between tech, between GCs in the past. Um, So I think it's smart and something that I wouldn't be surprised to see more of more People that kind of make uh, their career in legal ops initially go into legal tech um, and at particularly high positions when they do. Yeah,
0: it it also just underscores something we've talked about multiple times now on this show, which is this how how hot the CLM field is right now. And I mean, it, it, if you're gonna if you're gonna jump from <laughs> from Google to another job, you're gonna jump into CLM or something like that because that's. You know, it's 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 a it's a very hot field. There's a lot of money. Ironclad, uh, you know, has uh, is a uni- unicorn with its uh, billion-dollar uh, valuation, reported valuation. So, uh, um, a lot going on there. Um, Zach, you had started to go. Do you want to? Uh... Um,
5: yeah, just in speaking of legal technology companies that have gotten a lot of money. Um, there was what was categorized as a merger, but I would categorize it more as an acquisition. Uh, Consilio and Exact Data this week. Um, Consilio essentially brought Exact on. The company is going to be Consilio moving forward. Um, Exact's former uh, CEO is going to be a VP at Consilio now. Um, it, when they talked to Legal Tech News, essentially said. Yeah, it's tough out there for those middle market e-discovery companies, huh? Um, It's continuing to be an arms race. I think whether it's true or not, who knows, but the perception is out there among some in the e-discovery community that relativity, it can be market share can be taken from them. Um, You've seen a bunch of big dollar deals in recent years to that effect. Disco's gotten a bunch, Reveal with their huge M&A. Consilio has done some in the past, but I think Exact is one of the bigger ones that they've done now really trying to get into that arms race um so where we've talked about previously relativity is the 800 pound gorilla and everybody trying to catch up i think you're slowly starting to see the perception of the market shift a little bit where maybe it's not one big player but a few big players that are really snapping up everybody below them and they're just they're a little bit more on even footing duking it about out among themselves now
1: Mm mm-hmm
0: just got a press release today about, uh, I think it was just uh, today from Everlaw. You guys get that about uh, they're having their best year ever or something like that, just having a great year over the last year. And uh, they've got their conference coming up this week, uh, this coming, as a matter of fact, this week, this coming week, I think I did a blog post about it, but there's like three different legal tech and innovation con- conferences all coming up uh, in the coming week. Uh, uh, none of them using avatars as far as I can tell, but that's, that's their problem, not ours. Uh, Nikki, uh, do you wanna go? Do you, what do you got this week?
4: Um, there was just something that caught my eye um, on the tail of the is it Chauvin? Chauvin trial and the verdict there. And just the the increasing number with the increasing number of videos that are being posted of people of color being overly policed. It, this um, Electronic Frontier Foundation article caught my eye that was a, about, um, AI being used um, for predictive policing, uh, so that um, uh, police departments across the country are spending a lot of money on these predictive policing AI technologies that are um, supposed to help them sort of predict whether someone is about to commit a crime by using arrest records and neighborhood crime records and. EFFs taking the position, um, as do um, a lot of other organizations that police the police, for lack of a better word, that it's problematic because of bias. We've talked before about how AI is inherently biased. Oftentimes, it's the programming itself and the data that's being used. And in this case, this idea of some crimes being more crime-ridden than others, but then that data is um, has been created by the police over policing those neighborhoods in the first place, because they're neighborhoods where you have people of color. So um, uh, I, I just thought it was really interesting to see um, the EFF's position on that, which I agree with, and the movement to try to remove AI predictive policing analytics um, as part of that movement to defund the police or rebuild the police from the ground up because of the idea that policing is really based in uh, initially police departments were created to um, capture slaves that had escaped into the north or had been released whatever I don't even know the proper language but they were created to capture slaves and um, that's and they're racist from their very beginnings and so this was just another really interesting Um, intersection of legal and tech, but in a different way, and in a way that always really captures my attention. And I think it's important to highlight it and also just to track those those movements and do what we can to support them as well.
0: I didn't read the article. Was there a particular study that they, was it a study that they did or or just kind of a position paper on this or something? Um, They
4: are, um, there's different, that's a good question. Um, I believe that it's just, they're just taking this position They've They've argued in the past that the technology should be banned and um, a group of federal elected officials are raising concerns about the dangers of predictive policing. So it's recently because of the um, uh, climate uh, nationally be, that's happening in part because of the Black Lives Matter movement and in part because of the verdict in the Chauvin case, it's bringing it back to light. and so they were just sort of releasing the statement to support some of the um, things that were being done by some legislators uh, um, including, and that's also part of that, um, I think the Biden um, administration's movement to try to investigate some police departments as well. So it was just sort of supporting that. And I thought it was interesting and just wanted to bring that up. I really love the intersection of technology with, criminal uh criminal law in general and I yeah. it's, it's I always so I'll always go off on this tangent more than the legal tech industry and in, of technology you know um itself but I I just really think it's an interesting tangent but I feel like I'm the only one that often brings these things up but I think they're really interesting and relevant so I think
0: it's very interesting I I wonder whether the idea of predictive policing like like the use of any kind of predictive technology in any field is sort of like toothpaste out of the tube but the better way to go at it is to somehow address the uh, underlying biases in in the technology um, rather than expect the police are just going to stop using that technology because that seems seems unlikely Uh, I mean it seems like once they have technology like that it's going to be harder and harder to get them to not use it but uh, rather, to address the possibility of coming up with predictive technology that is in fact uh, not 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 biased and and uh, doesn't have those problems inherent in it but well, the concept know. is <laughs> also a,
4: offensive right it reminds me of the thought police from nineteen eighty four you know there 's this slippery slope with these predictive technologies as well that 's really just problematic and offensive and dystopian
0: yeah. No question. Steve, were you gonna say something on that or did you?
6: Oh, uh, yeah, I was just gonna follow up on your point and I was thinking about it. You know, it's uh, if you remove the inherent biased, biases from uh, these kinds of programs, you, you might be left with a, a useful tool that, that could be used by those who are misidentified, uh, who are mischarged uh, uh, criminally uh, to, to demonstrate a likelihood of innocence that they couldn't use before. If, if it's not biased, of course. Uh, so, you know, who knows where
0: it will lead.
5: Yeah, but I, I guess my question to that then is how? Um, just because inherently a lot of these technologies that are being used are black boxes. The, they A lot of them are private. You don't necessarily know what's going into the algorithm. And I'm just thinking back to the series that we did about recidivism technologies last year and how they're kind of all over the place. They're not really that well regulated. Um, some of them some of them are really good. And they're developed by universities who kind of know what they're doing and are particularly looking out for that bias. Others, maybe not so much. Um, so I I think it would be a de- obviously good to have unbiased data, but I think it's just as big of a question. How exactly do you regulate that and make sure that it stays unbiased? and um, that you actually know what's going into the algorithm continuously, because I think that's a lot of times easier said than done.
3: Well, and here's the thing, right? I mean, police have always done this at the end of the day. It's, you know, this idea of like trying to predict where crime is gonna commit, going to be committed. Well, if you have one neighborhood where you, historically the stats have been very high, of course you're gonna put more cops there. That's just, you know, that's just how you allocate your resources. and. As far as like predicting, like, oh, who's gonna who's gonna predict who's gonna create who's gonna commit these crimes? Well, you know, you look at people's rap sheets, like, oh, well, they've done this, this, this in the past. They're probably gonna do this, this in the future. So, it, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, it's like the technology is, is the technology. But I mean, as long as you're still like reinforcing that kind of you know philosophy amongst like police officers, as as, as, in, as in, this is how they do their job. This is how they they, they they look for people who are who may or may not be about to commit crimes or whatnot. Then I mean, it doesn't matter what the technology is gonna be. That 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 problem is always gonna be there.
4: Yeah,
6: all, well, from, all the all the more reason to for us as lawyers and legal community to be, to be all the more vigilant with respect to our constitutional and individual rights when criminal proceedings.
4: Well, right, and that right, and come, as a former criminal defense attorney, I, I mean that was my job for the better part of a decade. And you know, the reason that there are more arrests is because they don't there is passive policing where I live. The police don't get involved in your life unless you call them and actively invite them into your life, unless you're committing some sort of major crime and it's on their radar. But that's not what happens in um, neighborhoods where people of color live. It, it is active policing and this pre- trying to predict, if they wanna know that there are drugs being used, go to any frat house on any campus in this country on any day and you're gonna find drugs, but they're not doing that. You know, They're not constantly raiding the frat houses or hanging around outside the frat houses. No, they're not doing this but they do this in black neighborhoods and neighborhoods where people of color live. And that's why there's so many more arrests and people's rap sheets. You know, these kids get arrested when they're 14 for something stupid, like not having a bell on their bike. That's actually something that people get stopped for in Rochester all the time. No one's pulling suburban five-year-olds over for not having a bell on their bike, but they're pulling young black boys over. And so then they become part of the justice system at a very young age. And of course they're gonna have more arrests. And I used to see this all the time. You know these people have rap sheets from a very young age. They weren't doing anything other than walking around as a black person. And so, this predictive policing and using this data—it's flawed at its very, you know, at its essence. And so you can't use this data to predict who's going to commit a crime. And that's why it becomes this stop police. We all think I want to kill that person. They're a jerk. Just because you thought that doesn't mean you're going to do it. And that, this sort of is that's sort of that slippery slope. And so I, I get a little impassioned about it as you can tell, but. You know, it's because I was in it for a long time. And sometimes you just understand why these um, people that you represent are just so, they've lost their will to fight and they just, and they're so mad and angry and upset and there's a reason for it and it's not fair. And at least these things are being brought to light now. Um, And at least these questions are being asked, but sometimes I think it is too little too late, like you said, Bob. You
6: know, that's an excellent point, Nikki, because, you know, even with my kids, you know, they they got into trouble, all kids get into trouble, right? I mean, that's what you do when you're a teenager, you get into trouble. And, you know, if you're lucky, you don't get caught. (laughs) Let's face it. Well, you know, a bad man did a couple of things and got caught, right? Nothing serious. But because of who I was, and because my background, and because my access to the justice system, and because I knew how things work, I was able to ensure that they came out of it without a record. But that's because, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a white male lawyer. You know, uh, if they had been in a family, if they had been children of, of color, th- that they wouldn't have, they would have had the, the rap sheet that you're talking about. And so all these people, we just sort of, we, we have this one piece of society that's able to navigate through the legal system and deal with those kinds of things, you know, without future repercussions. And this whole other piece of society that, can't and are left with the mess for the rest of their life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I, I think the bigger problem is the policing is broken. Uh, and, and that's, and I think that's kind of what your, your point is, Nikki, we need to really address. That's what really needs to be addressed. I mean, the, 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 the one thing we have seen over and over again, over the last year is just how badly broken, how we police, how our country police is, is, is is uh, is and, and if you put flawed technology in the hands of a, of a broken uh, system then you're really going to have trouble so, i mean part of the problem part of the question about this technology is how is it used how is it deployed if, if it's used if it's just being used to kind of allocate resources in some general way well maybe that's okay if it's being used to more specifically target groups or individuals or or people based on the color of their skin or where they live that's that's much more concerning. Um, and, yeah, uh, and
2: yeah. Bob, when you talked about like the ways that you could use technology and like law enforcement actually be useful and not actually create more disparities, that reminded me of, I think in, San Francisco, the DA, the DA there, he introduced like this tech program that would like um, out mentions of like people's names, you know, things that would kind of, kind of define their like uh, race, ethnicity. I think even gender and sexuality, and just like the um, what was it, the uh, the lawyers, um, the assistant DAs would first see the report and, and things would be blocked out so they couldn't figure out like. Um, what race or ethnicity someone was and they would make their decision on, okay, this is what maybe the charges that we should bring. And then they would see a later version They would see with everything there. And if they made changes based on, oh no, I think we should actually up the charges. They would have to write like, why did you make that decision after you saw like their name and where they were and everything like that. So there are ways, and I've heard like people also use that type of like blacking out system for resumes. So like if someone has like a name that maybe seems a little too ethnic and they might say, oh, I don't know, there'll be a fit here, you know, there are some ways that I think like it kind of can like take out maybe some biases when like you in using technology so there are ways so it's not like we have to be completely like old school and just say oh tech is bad we can never use it but there's some ways that you can use it to kind of like make people a little bit less um maybe take the bias out or maybe make people look at things a little bit differently
0: all right well since we just heard from nikki about somebody else's story I think Steve was going to talk about nikki's story (laughs) <laughs> yes,
6: well, I think it was
4: your story, but you mentioned me.
6: <laughs> well, as as I've told Bob before, I don't have an original thought in my head, so I only get by by plugging in off other people's story. No, so uh,
2: you Not know, true. I was
6: uh, I was uh, I was interested in uh, looking back at the Monroe County Bar Association and the Avatar Conference and. What I was particularly interested in, you know, that was a, uh, as, as Nikki knows, and so, so in, well, in our starring just, role in that, in our starring role, but the conference was, it was a, it was a solo and small firm annual meeting. Uh, and so I was kind of, I was curious about that because, you know, whenever you start talking about an avatar conference, even in the legal tech world, people are kind of like, I don't know, that sounds kind of nerdy. And we all joke about it. I mean, you you guys kid Nikki and I like, you know, "Ah, that is crazy to avatar people. What are they, you know? And so I was really interested in what did the, what the Monroe County solo and small firm lawyers think of this? So I I talked to, to Kevin Ryan, who's the executive director and somewhat to my surprise, he said they loved it. They loved it. They thought it was great. In fact, it was almost life-changing or career-changing to some of them. Uh, and you know, he, he went on to tell me that, that these were not the most, many of these people were not the most computer computer literate lawyers um, in, in, and this is in Rochester, New York for everybody's background. And some of the some of the lawyers he least expected to like this, liked it the most. I mean, it was it was really quite uh, eye opening. And, you know, I said, well, did was there grumbling ahead of time? And he said, no, not really. And there wasn't any complaining afterwards. Um, There was it was all kind of kind of complimentary. And people just thought it was a great way to have uh, a conference. And so it struck me that, you know, maybe the conference industry has been a little bit too hesitant to, to adopt this kind of approach for, for conferences um, for fear that it, it just looked too strange. Um, very few problems in downloading the, the software, uh, which also sort of surprised me because, uh, you know, it, 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 the first time I did it, it took a couple of clicks. Um, and so, uh, and, you know, it, it, I asked him, I said, well, what do you think... I mean, if we come out of the pandemic and we start having live conferences, what do you think about this? And he, um, you know, he he and I both sort of concluded that this is not the the, the avatars don't work for hybrid conferences. I mean, it, it just doesn't make, I mean, you're either all avatars or you're, 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 none of you are, and it doesn't fit. But for a lot of conferences, particularly as, as Kevin identified, state bar associations, for example, who have members spread out through a large state. I mean, Kentucky's not the largest state, but it's, you know, it's a long state and people are, are pretty spread out. And it could be a good way for diverse geographical uh, people to come together and and have a good time. I mean, I love both those conferences that the the uh, edrm one and and the Monroe county bar one it it just was so much more natural. and uh, so you know i I, uh, I hope as we go forward, you know, Nikki and I both hope that everybody will vote for avatars.
4: <laughs> and thanks so much for writing about that and the bar Association doing that. I really appreciated your doing that and taking an interest in it and reaching out to Kevin too so thank you
6: oh well you're welcome I, I didn't I was I was glad you were gracious enough to let me plug in on, on behind your story I, I just uh, you know it's. it's it, I think it's it's got a place and uh, you know in the future whenever somebody says yeah, I don't think that's viable for us I'm going to say well look if the Monroe County Bar Association a bunch of solo and small firm lawyers can do it and like it we can all do it, <laughs> and I don't mean that is is insulting to the to the
0: Monroe County Bar Association at all. No, <laughs> oh, I think that's really interesting. Cause I, I, mean, I one of my I I like the Avatar conferences, I, uh, I and I, I've I've enjoyed them, but I've always thought it, it's going to be a hurdle to get. You know, just sort of regular non techie lawyers to engage in these kinds of conferences. So, and I, and I, I think probably Nikki would even tell you that coming leading up to the Monroe event, she was kind of wondering how it was going to play out and what would happen. Um, so it's great to hear that it, that it yeah. went well and the people engaged with it and and liked it. Um hopefully we don't have to be spending too much more time talking about virtual conferences though. I'm looking forward to the face-to-face ones going forward. I know we're all talking about hybrid conferences, but uh, I took Joe's tip and booked my uh, cheap hotel room in Vegas uh, already like 30 bucks <laughs> I mean, a night or something. It's
1: unreal. <laughs> it's unreal how cheap it is right now.
0: I need to do that. I'm
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I did the upgrade and it was still like only 35 or something like that. It was, it's nuts. Yeah.
4: And in all fairness, regarding the, our event, I think that there were some lawyers that probably did not sign up for the conference that otherwise would have attended because of the avatars. But there were also some lawyers there that were not the most tech savvy that kind of surprised me that they were there, that it, you know, once they committed to it and dove in, they enjoyed it. But I definitely think that um, it, it did affect attendance numbers a bit. And so the people that just weren't willing to give it a try just didn't give it a try. So yeah, ke- in all ke- fairness, there's both sides of that.
6: Kevin and I talked about that a little bit, and he, 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 like you, Nikki, it's hard to know why people didn't attend. I mean, it's, you know, Kevin sort of said, you know, it's been a hard year for, for solo and small firm lawyers, um, which is true. And, uh, you know, whether that contributed to, you know, lower attendance, you know, who knows? Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, some people may have turned their nose up at it it would be interesting to see if if they had the opportunity to do it again next year, which it'd we'll probably be live next year, but, you know, whether more people will come in because people say, well, this is really a lot of fun.
0: <laughs> Victor, uh, you've got a story this week. want to talk about that?
3: Oh, yeah, um, yeah, I didn't make the uh, the email before before the show, so I wasn't sure if I was going get, to get a chance to talk, to talk about it or not. You got but, it on um, the
0: spreadsheet, which is where it's supposed to go. You get points, man. <laughs> so, uh, so
3: yeah. So, just uh, um, uh, this week out of Europe, um, probably not the biggest news to come out of Europe this week. But um, uh, you know, for, for 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 soccer fans, they uh, know what I'm talking about. But um, the uh, there's a New York Times article that talked about how uh, the EU is proposing uh, very strict uh, regulations concerning you know ethical use of AI. Uh, I thought that was very interesting, just with with the way that they were going about it. Um, you know, one thing that they've been um, you know pretty you know like Talking about like just like how how facial recognition should be deployed, you know, wanting to make sure that you know the having having human oversight, wanting to make sure that the you know the data can be vetted, you know, for deepfakes they want to like you know have something you know have some kind of indication to to put to put under that it's you know that it was manipulated or it was altered somehow. So it just kind of struck me as sort of like you know you know we you know. The EU is kind of on the, on the has been on the vanguard of sort of like protecting consumers, protecting people from, you know, um, you know, making sure that that, that tech doesn't overreach and, and, and making sure people are protected from that. And this, you know, with GDPR, and this is just another example of that. Just shows that they're really kind of on, they're really kind of on the cutting edge as far as like protecting individuals, making sure that tech is 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 deployed ethically. I mean, obviously, devils in the details with these kind of things, but I, I just thought it was it was very interesting with just just how they just how they're going about it.
0: How oh, are, they, Victor, How are they going about it, I and mean, how would they regulate AI? Um,
3: well, uh, just like, like you know, like they've set set strict, strict regulations as far as like you know, um, um, you know, making sure that like uh, facial recognition software was was you know, uh, you know, the, the algorithms for you know, like vetting the algorithms for uh, facial recognition software, uh, you know, having human oversight of uh, of various AI, you know, various programs and whatnot, making sure that the Uh, the data is vetted properly, you know, for, like I said, for the deep fakes, they want to make sure they have something on there to, um, to make sure that, uh, um, you know, it it says that it was, um, you know, manipulated or was changed somehow and I think the penalty is that um, um, it's, you know, it's, they're they're like commercial penalties and they're like, you know, like, um, uh, other ways they're going to regulate to regulate it so i mean it, it, yeah it just it, it just kind of shows that 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 this is where they think that this is where their minds are with with regards to with regards to that stuff
5: yeah you, you kind of said it though at least for me the devil is kind of in the details a little bit um particularly when i'm thinking about something like gdpr we've had a couple of very high profile fines but I think some, if you talk to some privacy lawyers over there, they'll say, we thought they'd be a little bit more heavy handed and actually enforcing this stuff than they've actually been. Um, So I'm curious of something like this, particularly with AI, which is a relatively cutting edge technology, like facial recognition. um, I'm curious as to how much enforcement they will actually be doing. Um, I definitely think it's a step in the right direction. And I definitely think it's a good thing to implement. But we'll see how it's actually carried out. And don't mind me if I'm a little bit skeptical on how they'll be doing it.
3: Sure, and I, I think these are proposed rules. So I don't even know, if I don't know what the process is as far as like adopting things over there. You know, this is where probably having Caroline would probably help be helpful as far as explaining how the EU works. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know what the, what the what the what the procedure is as far as like, you know, modifying the rules go. I'm sure, you know, some companies will have have some some opinions about this. Um, uh, I think yeah I think there's the one in the panel I think they could be fined up to like six percent of their uh, of their global sales which is um, you know that could be a lot for some companies it might not be too much for others. So um, yeah I think but I think it'll be interesting to see how to see where they are going forward and and I mean you know it'll be interesting to see if this spurs anything in the United States to see if you know if if we follow if we follow them like we did with GDPR.
0: You know, I think one other possible, I, I don't know, this is in a direct implication for legal tech, but um, we I forget whether we've talked about this issue before, but I, I know, it, I'm sure some of us have written about it. I know I've written about it, this, this question of the extent to which uh, legal tech companies uh, should be expected to be somewhat transparent about their own you know, AI algorithms that they're using in their products. And some of that comes out of the uh, the research um, into uh, differences among legal research algorithms and how they produce different results based on their algorithms, uh, and uh, you, know, al- you know, the bottom line being that algorithms are 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 not perfect. They're imperfect. They're they're written by humans, and and they they have sort of inherent biases. Not not the kind of biases we were talking about before with regard to uh, racial profiling or that sort of thing, but but. They, they even if they just have biases in terms of how they influence the results of a search, um, that's something that consumers of those products should have some ability to know. And I know some some of the legal research companies have taken sort of small steps towards uh, providing some transparency around their algorithms. Fastcase has a little. Um, place you can go uh, and kind of see how their algorithm is being weighted and you can adjust this sort of little sliders where you can adjust the weighting of their algorithm to produce different search results. Um, so it's not quite regulation of AI, but uh, you know, I think uh, going forward, even if not regulation around AI, I think we should expect to see companies become more transparent around their AI. Uh, and I think that's something we're going to eventually expect as a right you
6: know, it's uh, interesting, the Supreme Court decision yesterday, sort of with respect to all of this, and <clears throat> they came out with an opinion, which basically denied the, the ability of the Federal Trade Commission to recover uh, monies for consumers for deceptive practices, um, which, you know, you might say, so what? But so what is, you know, so somebody, uh, you know, sell some of your personally, your, your private information and you're, you're identified. Well, oh, well, that's really bad, but what can you do about it? Right. You're going to go hire a lawyer. You're going to, you're going to sue the company that's going to cost you more than it is ever be worth. What are you going to, you're going to file a class action. Who wants to do that? Not too many. And so the FTC was kind of stepping into that breach and, uh, trying to collect money and police, um, deceptive practices, particularly in the technology arena. And now they've, they've had a pretty significant tool removed from them. Um, so I thought it could be, could end up being a pretty important op- opinion and could let you know, a lot of technology case companies get away with more than they have in the past. Mm-hmm.
4: All
0: right, did I miss anybody? I didn't miss anybody, right? Anybody have any rants or raves, anything they want to rant about this week?
4: Yes. We broke a snow record two days ago in Rochester, a snow record. It was upsetting and I'm still pissed about it. There's still like this much, a little teeny weeny pile of snow on our patio um, table. And it won't go away. It's like taunting me from the kitchen window whenever I do dishes. So that's what I want to rant about, breaking a snow record in mid April almost late April. So something not legal tech related.
0: (laughs) Hey, you choose to live in Rochester, New York. You know, you bring this stuff on yourself. I ask myself all the time, what am I doing in the Northeast when there's warm places all over this country I could be?
5: Oh, being in Minnesota, I definitely feel that one. Um, (laughs) We were actually chatting a little bit before we came on. I was in Green Bay for a period of six months. And I will always remember I was working at the NBC station there. On April 20th, we had a foot long snowstorm, or foot tall snowstorm. And because I was the intern, they wanted me to come in for school closings. So I never did the early morning shift, I was there at 3am. It was me and the morning show producer. And when I got in the morning show producer was blasting grateful dead and in a very happy mood. And I was very confused until realizing that it was 420. So sometimes April snowstorms happen. And sometimes they can be fun coincidences that you look back on and realize how naive you were
0: all right any other rants raves comments thoughts brilliant insights i'm
3: i'm glad the european super league failed i was very upset about that um not because i thought it was undemocratic or i thought it was you know a destruction of the merit-based system or whatnot it's just because i didn't want to see my team get their butts kicked every every year by real madrid and barcelona so i'm very happy about that
0: all right. We, we may have to pick that up again when Caroline's back next week, because uh, I think she had some <laughs> opinions about that as well. All right. Well, uh, I think that does it. Joe's got to go. Joe's got a lot of celebrating to do. It's his birthday. You. Go have a good I day. Do. I'm getting
1: a, we're getting a, a group of all the vaccinated people in my, in my world are all getting together. So, yeah, it's going to be like and the first time we can do that.
0: Showing scabs or something or?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, we've got our little New York passports and everything. And uh, yeah, so we're going to a place and they've got a room for us because we're uh, all in. Awesome. That sounds like fun. Yeah. All
0: right. Well, thanks to everybody. And uh, we'll be back again next week talking about legal tech and innovation. Uh Everybody have a good week.
4: Have a good Um. weekend.